Well, this is Chief. Let me introduce you to Chief this morning. This is Chief. He's a golden retriever. He's got his Chief's jersey on. This is the, the Collie's golden retriever. Kobe's one of our elders. Uh, Kobe and Jen and their family have been dear friends of ours for about 20 years now. And this is their golden retriever. Here he is in a hat. He's a cute dog. This is when he was younger. Here he is. He's older now, a little bit more mature, a little thicker, right? This is, this is Chief. And uh, everyone loves, everyone loves Chief. Chief loves to party, okay? And, and he, he, he loves when people are around. Uh, he, he just loves it. He loves to play fetch. He loves for you to, to, to pet him, right? He's a super friendly dog. Well, one time last summer, when a lot of us were over at the Collie's house, uh, we realized Chief was missing, that, that he was gone. He wasn't begging us to play fetch with him and barking at us to play fetch with him. We're like, where's Chief? And we realized like Chief's gone and we're looking everywhere for him. We can't find him in the yard. We can't find him in the house. We're start, we start looking everywhere. We, we can't find Chief. There's several families over at their house and we're all searching for Chief and they, they end up posting like on their neighborhood Facebook group. Hey, we can't find Chief and everyone in the neighborhood knows Chief. Everyone knows Chief. And so everyone's looking now for Chief. We get in our cars, we're driving around. This went on for about an hour, maybe two hours. We're driving around, we're, we're going into other neighborhoods. Um, I, I got yelled at by a guy like from his house to get off his land because it was kind of outside of town because I was looking for Chief. Kobe got yelled at by the same guy like to get off of his land. We're, we're searching for Chief, we can't find him. And then about an hour, two hours later, like I said, Kobe gets a message. Chief has gone down the street to another pool party. And he is swimming in the, the neighbor's pool. He's hanging out with the, with the crowd that's there. I, I, I told you, Chief likes to party. And so he went to a pool party down the street where I guess there was more uh, music and more people, right? And he was swimming and having a great time. How, how many of you have ever lost something dear to you before? Let me see a show of hands, right? Uh, it could have been keys, right? It, it could have been your phone. It might have been an iPad. It might have been a remote control. That's super frustrating, right? Maybe a remote control, maybe a phone, maybe your AirPods. If you have, if you have headphones, uh, maybe you've lost those before. My, my kids have headphones and I got these things called AirTags and attach them to their, Air, their, their, their AirPod cases because they leave them everywhere. And when I first got them, they hated them. They didn't like it. I even have an AirTag on our remote control because it gets lost so often, all right? And so they, they made fun of me incessantly for getting these AirTags. But you know what? You know how many times they've lost those AirPods and we found them because of the AirTag that I placed on them? Many times. Many times those air tags have saved their butts, like literally saved their butts, right? And, and, and so they made fun of me for this, but, but I'm the one laughing now, right? Because we have found remotes and AirPods and all kinds of things with these air tags. I told Kobe about the air tag, and now Chief has an air tag on, on him. So, so Chief doesn't get lost anymore. Well, today we're looking at one of the two most famous stories that Jesus ever told. It's the good Samaritan, right? That's one of them. And today it's the prodigal son. How many of you have heard the story of the prodigal son? Let me show, see a show of hands. Everybody or almost all of, okay, right? A lot of us have heard the story of the prodigal son. Jesus is going to talk about today, a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. And like chief, this son leaves his home and he goes to a pool party in a faraway land and he gets in a lot of trouble. So if you got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We are in a verse by verse study of the gospel of Luke. And we're not just studying the gospel of Luke in here. We're studying the gospel of Luke in our city groups uh, throughout the week. They're going to discuss these same passages. If you're not in a city group at one of our small group Bible studies, I want to challenge you. Jump on our app. Uh, go to the connect form and let us know that you're interested in small groups, our city groups, and Pastor Brandon will get you plugged into a group as soon as possible. We're going to study these verses in our daily devotionals this week, Monday through Friday, daily devos on our app under the Bible study tab. And then we're also going to challenge you to study the gospel of Luke this week as a family using the, the table talk. Now, normally your kids, our students are in their class, but today 
They're in here, right? They're with you. Some of you are like, yeah, they're sitting on my left and my right. Listen, at our church, at least several times a semester, our kids are going to worship together with us at least several times a semester. And this is the reason why, because we believe it is critically important for your kids to sit with you in church, watch you worship, watch you engage with the word, and for you to model to them what it looks like to join together with your community of faith, to worship and to pray and to dive into the word. So I know some of your kids are going to pay attention and they're gonna get some things out of today. I, I get that. I, I get at a certain age that's kind of, that, 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 that return diminishes to a certain degree. But what doesn't diminish is your kids watching you and seeing you. And so I wanna challenge you today as we worship, as we pray, as we dive into the word, let your kids see you engaging today, not sitting back and watching like this is theater or like this is a show, but see you engaging. And if you don't have kids with you today, let me challenge you, let me encourage you. Kids are watching you. Our kids are watching, even if you're, they're not your kids, they are watching us. And so let, let's show our kids what it looks like to engage and to lean in and to study the word of God and to worship the Lord this morning. And so, so sorry, that was a tangent. <laughs> the, the table talk is there for you uh, to lead your family in Bible study and prayer. It's a great resource to uh, just to lead you in that time around a table. And so we'd love to invite you to do the table talk this week with your family. We preach through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book at the City Church because we just believe that's more effective at producing healthier, deeper, more effective, more faithful, more steadfast, more generous disciples of Jesus. We believe that this style of preaching will produce marriages that are deeper and richer and flourishing and that our kids will know what they believe and why they believe it. But, but, but make no mistake, I said this last week, right now in these moments, as we sing, as we pray, as we dive into the word, we are going to battle and I'm inviting you to go to battle with us. Like I'm inviting you in this moment, I'm challenging you even in this moment to go to battle with us in these moments. Make no mistake, we are battling against our accuser, our enemy, the devil, who wants to take you out, who wants to steal and kill and destroy your life. We're battling against our own apathy, our own spiritual apathy. We're, we're battling against the lust of our flesh, the idols in our heart, the sin that's in our life, our own selfishness, our own comfort, the, the lies and the deception that we believe. We're battling against wrong doctrine and we're battling for right doctrine in these moments that we have together. It matters. So make the most of your time here. Jump on our app. You can download it in your app store. It's called the City Church Love It. Go to message notes. And all the verses and the points and everything will be there for you to follow along with us as, as we go. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, today's going to be a little bit different. We're going to read a couple of verses and then talk about it. And then read a couple of verses and then talk about it. And then we'll give you some takeaways here at the end. So turn with me to Luke chapter 15. The verses will be on the screen with you or for you as well. Starting in verse 1. And I don't want to scare you, okay, but we're doing a whole chapter today. Now, I know some of you are scared right now, okay? It's going to be okay, all right? We're going to make it. I promise. I promise. We're going to make it. I'll probably even hit my time this morning. I know that's rare, but we're going to make it. So just hold on, all right? Verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Verse 2. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So, so three, here's what you got to understand before we jump into these parables, three of the most important parables that Jesus would ever tell were told in response to these complaints from these Pharisees, from these religious people. And so before we can really have an understanding of the next three parables, we have to look at their context, that these religious leaders are reacting harshly against Jesus's practice of mixing with tax collectors and sinners, even eating with them, because the Pharisees are a sect within Judaism. They're like a denomination, if you will, within Judaism that were very separatist 
They advocated a doctrine of salvation through separation, through segregation, of, of having sinners at arm's length, if not even further. They wouldn't interact with people who weren't super religious like they were, much less sit down at a table and dine with them. Verse three, so Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now the Pharisees, we're gonna stop there. Pharisees considered shepherds a members of an unclean profession and would not readily identify with this Story. They, they, they wouldn't have got it, in other words. They wouldn't have really grasped it or, or understood. Uh, once again, because they've separated themselves from anything they deem as unclean or unworthy to be in their own presence. But here, the shepherd searches until he finds his sheep. And then it says he joyfully carries home his lost sheep. What an incredible picture of the heart of the father who searches for and, and, and goes after the, the one sheep that, that goes astray until he finds it. Isaiah 53 says this, we all are like sheep that go astray. We each go our own way. That, that's just, that's who we are in our sinful nature. We, we all go astray. We all go our own way. And yet the heart of the father is like a heart of a shepherd that comes after us, that pursues us, that, that searches for us until he finds us. And then he brings us home joyfully. And did you notice, how do, how do we get home? By our own effort? No. No because we're smart enough to figure it out. No, that's not my story. That's not the story I sing about. It's how smart I was and how spiritual I was and how good I was to figure out my way back home to the Father. It's not your story either. In, in your self-righteousness, you may not realize that that's your story, but, but that's your story. No, you, you, didn't, you didn't do anything but get yourself lost. The shepherd comes and throws you over his shoulders and in joy carries you home. That's, that's our story. That's, that's our song. And Jesus says there's rejoicing in heaven when you give your life to Christ, when you repent of your sin, when you come back to the Lord once, twice, 30 times, seven times, Jesus would talk about seven times, 77, that, that every time you repent of sin and you return to the Lord, that there is, there's rejoicing in heaven when a sinner repents. Jesus says, the 99, referring to these Pharisees and, and scribes, these teachers of the law, these religious types think that they are righteous and therefore have no need to repent. What, what he says here in, in verse seven, when he talks about the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away, this is sarcastic because Jesus has already made it clear that there is no one righteous, no, not one. We, we all have sinned against God and we all must repent of sin. Jesus would use the terminology in other gospels and other situations, those who think they are righteous and don't need to repent. 
And that's what's in view here. That's what's in play here. Jesus is saying there's more joy in heaven over one who understands they've strayed away and that the, the father has come after them and has thrown them on his shoulder and has carried them. There, there's more joy there over one sinner who repents and turns to God than there is over 99 others who think they're righteous and think they don't need a doctor to heal them, who, who think they don't need a, a shepherd to, to save them. They're deceived into thinking that they're righteous and have no need of salvation. Let's keep going. Verse eight, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is again, Joy in the presence of God's angels. There's a party when even one sinner repents of their sin. The Pharisees were generally unimpressed, not only by shepherds, but by women. And though they value caring for the poor, most came from an educated class different from people with just 10 coins. And so, so once again, they would not readily identify with the lead role of this story either. Because this is a woman and she's poor. She's searching the house frantically at night with a lamp burning, trying to find this, this one coin that she has lost. And so the Pharisees wouldn't identify with this story either. And it would be offensive to them that Jesus here would platform a woman as the lead in a story that's talking about the father. No one would have done this in Jesus' day. But Jesus tells a story about a woman who, who represents the father in this story using every means necessary to draw you to himself. And, and listen, this, this shows us that once again, the, the heart of the father using every means necessary to draw you to himself. And listen to me, the fact that you're here right now in this moment is proof that God is drawing you to himself in some way. And it looks different for all of us. But, but God has used every means necessary. And today, right now, in this moment, he's used the means of waking you up, giving you breath, right? Choosing to come here, to be here. Maybe, maybe someone invited you to come. Uh, maybe you were drug here, right? By, by, by somebody like a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife, right? You, you were maybe drug here. But listen, the very fact that you are in here right now, in this moment, God is using song and, and, and prayer and his word, he's using all these different means to, to draw you to himself, to get your attention, as we're going to see here in just a little bit, to get you to come to your senses and turn to him. The question is, are you listening? Because you can sit back, like I said, and just watch like this is theater, like this is a show, and totally miss what God wants to do in your heart today. God is using all kinds of different means right now in this moment, in these seconds that we're together. He's using every means necessary to, to, to draw you to himself. Verse 11. To illustrate the point even further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his Sons, let's stop there. So to, to ask your father for your share of the inheritance early was unheard of in antiquity. In fact, you were saying, Father, I wish you were already dead. That's what the son is, is doing here. He's basically saying, I wish you were dead. Such a statement would not go over well, even in the West, right? Even in Western society today. But especially in a society stressing obedience to one's father, it would be a serious act of rebellion for which the father could have beaten him or worse. The father could have disinherited his son by the mere question or suggestion that he should give his inheritance early to this son. 
that the father grants this request, letting him go his own way, means that most of the hearers, especially these Pharisees, will not identify with the father in this parable. From the very start, they would think this father was stupid and lax to pamper such an immoral, disrespectful son. And so, again, the Pharisees are not identifying with the characters in this story for a completely different reason now. Because of the patience, the mercy, the grace, the humility that this father displays towards his son to grant him his request as self-destructive as this request is and will prove to be, the father lets the son go his own way. Instead of disinheriting him, instead of maybe even having him stoned to death, the father very humbly allows the son to walk away. Verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in in wild living. Just like Chief. This kid likes a good pool party, right? He wants to get get wild. He wants to have a good time. Verse 14, about that time, the, the money ran out. A great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. Verse 15, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him in his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, you need to circle that, underline that, highlight that if you're in you version, whatever, and screenshot it, right? When he finally came to his senses, he says to himself, at home, Even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and here's what I'll say. Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. That this son in his own self-centeredness, in his own self-interest, he asks for his inheritance. He thinks that his plans for himself are going to be better than his father's plans for himself. And he goes out and he blows all of his money. He's living, in, he's living wildly, very promiscuous. We learn later that he's been seeing prostitutes, right? He, he's totally destroying his life in his own, you gotta catch this, in his own self-centeredness and for, for his own self-interest, He's destroying his life by giving in to his own desires, by giving in to the lust of his flesh that he believes are going to satisfy him, that he believes are going to fulfill him. We've talked about this for, uh, for many times over and over and over again over the past four and a half years. That sin is a mirage. It's a, a trap that never comes through on what it promises, on what it offers. And so the son has this mirage in view of this lifestyle that he wants, that he wants to pursue. And if he can just get away from his father and fully embrace his desires and what he believes are best for himself, then he'll be happy. Father's never wanted him. Father's never cared about his happiness. No, you know, he, in his own self-interest and self-centeredness, believes that he knows what's best and that he's got to get out from underneath his father in order to live the life that he really wants. It's a, it's a mirage. Sin never comes through on what it promises, on what it offers, on what it looks like. And he ends up in a situation where no one is willing to help him. I mean, think about what he's left. Think about the the humility of his father that was willing to give him his inheritance early. And now he's in a situation where no one is gracious to him. No one is merciful to him. This entire life that he saw ahead of him has fallen apart. It's crumbled all around him. And he's got nothing. He's got nobody. 
He realizes by the grace of God that he was out of his mind, that he was absolutely foolish and he's suffering now in his sin. And because of his sin, he realizes I'm suffering because I've sinned against God and I've sinned against my dad and I've sinned against my my, my community. He, he, He understands that he was foolish in these desires. And so he confesses that not only has he disgraced himself, but he sinned against God. He's brought shame on his father's house that he doesn't even deserve to be called a son anymore. And he starts thinking, if I go back to my father, maybe I can be a servant in his house. And and a lot of theologians believe that, that in view or in mind here, that he has the idea that he's going to go and pay back what he took from his father. Not necessarily to ever be a son again, but to pay it back, to make restitution, if you will. Let's keep going. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father... His father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him. He kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead. He's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's unfound. And so the party began. The boy may have left the house, but he hadn't left his father's heart. So the dad runs to the son, he embraces the son, he's got arms wide open, they're they're not closed. He's not shaking his head at his son. I mean, this is a picture of the Father. This is a picture of God's love for you. Arms wide open. Ready to embrace you. Ready to receive you. In the ancient world, a man of his social status would wear great robes and Be careful to follow the customs and protocol of the time. And so to to see a man in this culture running down these dusty roads meant that his robes, the great robes that he would have been wearing would have been hiked up and tucked into a belt at the waist, showing his bare legs. Some of you are like, I get it. That would be shameful, right? If If I ran down this road with my legs showing like from the thigh down, right? Right. I mean, in this culture, it was shameful. It was unthinkable. So, so why is the father doing this? Why is he running to his son when he's, he sees him coming down the road? He, he, he runs out to him. Is it excitement? Yes, absolutely. Is it compassion? Yes, absolutely. Any, any parent on some level gets this. Like you, you get this in one way, but I promise you, you don't get this in another way. Because there's so much more happening here than you realize. There, there's so much more happening here than, than I've ever realized. 
You see, Dr. Kenneth Bailey in his book, The Cross and the Prodigal, he notes that in the Talmud, which is a book of Jewish writings and teachings, he reveals that something else is actually at play here. And it is powerful. You see, if a Jewish boy lost his dad's inheritance among the Gentiles in this faraway land, and then he tried to return home, the community would perform a ceremony called Keza. This ceremony was led by the elders. And in this ceremony, when that child returned, he would have to face Keza. Keza meant to be cut off from your people as a judgment for your sin and shame. And in this ceremony, in this Keza ceremony, when the elders of the community ruled that you were not welcome back into the community, they would throw a clay pot down in front of your feet to reveal, to show that you were cut off forever from your people. And so the father knew that his son was going to face Keza. And the father in these situations wasn't allowed to attend the ceremony because, watch this, the father's blessing ahead of Keza would trump community decisions. That the father's, you gotta catch this, right? The father's blessing would trump Keza. And so, the father knows his son is going to face Keza. He's going to face this ceremony where he's going to be cut off from his community and from his family forever as a punishment for his sin and as a punishment for his shame. And so the father knows his son's going to face Keza and the father wasn't allowed to attend the, the, the ceremony because his decision would trump community decisions. And so knowing this, the father was watching the road. Not just out of compassion, not, not just out of excitement, not, not just out of wonder if his son was coming back. His father is watching the road. And so he sees his son and he starts running. And the dad shames himself in this pursuit of his son so that his son won't be shamed and cut off from his family and community forever. Here's the picture. The dad has to get to his boy before his boy gets to Keza. Because the father's blessing trumps Keza. So the father gets to the son before the son gets to Keza. And the father's blessing trumps Keza. Here, here's the father's blessing. He says, get the robe. Get the robe. In the ancient Near East, the ceremonial robe is the best robe. It was a mark of honor. When a king would seek to give honor to a visiting dignitary, he would present him with the costly robe, with the best robe. And so the father's command here carried this implication. Treat this son of mine as the guest of honor in our house. Then there's the ring. Obviously this signet ring. When it was given from the father to a son or from a king to a prime minister, it signified the granting of the transfer of authority. And so the young man says he isn't even worthy to be called a son. All he's asking for is to be made a servant, a person with no authority. But the father, by calling for a ring to be placed on his finger, is restoring to him the authority of sonship. And then the third command is to put sandals on his feet. Shoes or sandals were a luxury. They were worn by free men. They were never worn by slaves. The young son had appeared at his father's house barefooted, looking like a slave. But the father orders that shoes are to be put on his feet. So the father beats his son to the gate of the community where Keza is cutting off from his family and his community forever. He, he, he beats his son to the gate. The father's blessing trumps Keza and the son is set free and the son can return home. I mean, he gets new robes, a ring, 
new shoes. It's, it's no wonder that Paul, that, that John would describe becoming a child of God as having put on new, righteous, white clothes. The dad's filled with compassion, not content. His son was dead, but he, now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. He gets the, the, the robe, the ring. His dad's arms are around him, around his shoulder. And instead of Keza, the son gets a party. Oh, the grace and mercy. The patience of God. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was working in the fields and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father was killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, son, You've always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Publicly refusing to enter this party makes this family dispute public news. Dampening the celebration and worse yet, Shaming his father just as the younger brother had. In this culture where honor and shame are essential values, this is a grievous insult. It's a grievous sin to the father's dignity and warranted discipline or being disinherited just like the younger son. And yet the father, again, grace, the mercy, the compassion, the patience of God, yet the father is begging him with this affectionate appeal, dear son, begging him to come in, showing that he loves the older son. He loves this older brother and he wants him to join in the celebration too. And here's what he says to the son. All I have is yours. You see, in the traditional Jewish practice, the eldest son, which is this boy, was to receive a double portion of the inheritance. And so in this case, he would have received two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger brother would have received one-third of the inheritance. So literally, when the father says, all I have is yours, that's literally true because the younger son has taken the third and wasted it. All that's left is the two-thirds. And so the father's literally saying, son, all I have, everything I have, it's yours. It's yours and your brother was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, but, but now he's out. This is a happy day. You should be happy. All I have is already yours and your brother's back. This is a happy day. So two takeaways from this story. And we got to remember that these takeaways are in light of verse one and two. Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees. He's responding to the Pharisees, to these religious people. But remember, in verse one and two, there's a lot of sinners that are there. There's a lot of outcasts. There's a lot of irreligious, non-religious types that are hearing this story too. And while Jesus's primary audience is the Pharisees, it is the religious person of his day. That's his primary audience. There's a secondary audience here too. And that is the, the sinners. It's the, the tax collectors. It's the outcasts. It's the non-religious. It's the irreligious. They're, they're hearing all of this too. So, so here's, the, here's the first takeaway. The religious son must repent of his self-righteousness. That, that's who Jesus is primary looking at. That's who he's talking to. That's who he's responding to with these three parables. He's responding to, remember verse one and two, to the Pharisees, to these religious people. And so the, 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 the first takeaway is that the religious son must repent of his self-righteousness. Pharisees don't relate with any of these stories. They, they've separated themselves to the point where they criticize sinners rather than build relationship with sinners. They, they have no awareness 
of the grace of God. The full acceptance of repentant sinners before they could achieve a holy lifestyle and track record contradicted their understanding of religion. Sinners needed to clean themselves up first before being accepted or brought inside the family in the view of the Pharisees, in the view of the self-righteous. The parable's great irony is this, the brother who had been on the outside is now on the inside, while the brother who's been on the inside is now on the outside. One one theologian said it like this, the, the one, it's easier to reach the one in the pigs than it is to reach the one in the pews. Why? Why is that? Well, we we see this truth exploding off the pages in this story. The religious son thinks he's worthy. He, He believes himself to be righteous. The rebellious son realizes he isn't worthy. The rebellious son realizes he doesn't even deserve to be a son. You see, no one will ever get into the father's house by pleading their own worthiness. No, only those who acknowledge their unworthiness Never get in to the Father's house. The ending stress of this parable indicates that the parable's main point is to be found in the interaction of the father and the older brother here at the end. It ends with this open-ended question that isn't resolved. It it, it leaves you hanging. Any any of you ever watched the series 24 with Jack Bauer? Man, I, I love that series. And at the end of every episode, it leaves you with this massive cliffhanger and then there's... There's this song that starts to play and this countdown timer, right? And it goes, ding, 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 ding. At the end of every episode of 24, it leaves you with the cliffhanger and it gives you like the stopwatch going down, right? The the time that's going down. And at the end of every episode, I'm like, I gotta watch the next one, right? I mean, I could binge that show like no other. I, I had to know what was going to happen next. Or maybe if you watched Lost, the series Lost, you, you, you couldn't stop with just one episode. You had to watch the next one because it always left you hanging. If you're a, a Marvel fan, you, 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 you watch Infinity War and everybody's going to ashes and dust and you're like, what? This can't be the way that it ends. And sure, there's another one to come along, but, but, but this story, it just leaves you hanging. It leaves you hanging, wondering, what's the older brother going to do? What's the self-righteous son going to, what's he going to do? You see, Jesus' three parables and the ending of this third parable reveal that the righteous children of God inherit the heart of the Father. That the true kids have arms wide open, not arms closed. The real kids who know that they were dead and are now alive. That know they were lost and now they're found. To know that they were blind, but now they can see that the real, the genuine children of the Father have arms open wide. They've, they've got people they're, they're watching the road for. You follow me? They're watching that road because they've they, they got people in their lives. They're, they're, they're looking at that road. They're watching for that road. They're, 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 they're waiting on people to, that they're going to run to embrace home and put their arm around and celebrate them. Here's what you got to understand. The, the, the real genuine children of God that, that inherit this kind of father, here's what they understand. Jesus took sinners to dinner. They don't have arms extended. No, their arms are open wide. They don't have arms crossed. Their arms are open wide because they understand verse one and two. Jesus took sinners to dinner. The religious son must repent of his self-righteousness. But secondly, the second takeaway is this. The rebellious son must repent of his self-centeredness. The rebellious son has to repent 
of his self-centeredness, of living for his own self-interest. You see, sinners, verse one and two, they're hearing each one of these parables. And so you know they've got to be sitting there thinking, wait a second, Jesus, are you saying I'm the lost sheep? Are you saying I'm the lost, I'm the lost coin here? Like, can you imagine this, this hitting your pride? I'm, I'm, I'm the sheep who has gone astray, has gone my own way. I'm the, I'm the lost coin. I'm the, I'm the lost son. And I can just hear Jesus being like, yeah, yeah, you are. Wait a second. Jesus, I'm the rebellious son that turned his back on his family, that turned his back on his God, that turned his back on his faith, that turned his back on his community. Yes. Yes, you are. Every one of you are. So am I. You see, here's what you got to understand because Jesus is full of grace and truth. Yes, Jesus took sinners to dinner, but watch this. Jesus also wasn't afraid to call a sinner a sinner. Jesus takes sinners to dinner, but he's not afraid to call a sinner a sinner. They're there listening to each one of these parables and he's saying to them, you're the lost sheep, you're the lost coin, you're the lost son. Kids, Look at me. If you're a child in the room, look at me. Turn to your parent on your left or your right and tell them you're a sinner. Okay, now parents, turn to your kids and tell them you're a sinner. Now husbands, turn, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) You're the lost sheep. You're the lost coin, you're the lost son. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And one of the greatest abilities we we have as humans is the ability to deceive ourselves. It's to rationalize, it's to make excuses. Some of us are continuing to delude ourselves, postponing that painful moment of honest self-evaluation. This young man, He woke up to the reality that what he was doing was ruining his life, that he was sinning against God and that he was making him miserable. And this this awakening in this moment where he comes to his senses, it's the most critical point in his life. And this, listen to me, this is the transformational love and grace of God where you come to your senses and you realize that your sin is ruining your life and you turn from your sin and you begin to follow Jesus, whether it's the first time or for the 77th time. Every moment in your life where you come to your senses and you realize that your sin is ruining your life and you turn from that sin, it's that moment of of transformational love. Jesus didn't practice affirmational love. This is transformational love where I turn from my sin and I acknowledge Jesus as the Lord of my life and I begin to pursue him and follow him once again. Do you see the heart of the Father in these stories that he actively pursues both the religious son and the rebellious son. The the father's heart for the religious son is the same as his heart for the rebellious son. Some of us have a lot of grace and mercy for a sinner, but no grace and mercy for the religious and self-righteous person. But the scripture says in 2 Peter chapter 2 that God is being patient in his son's return. Why? Why is God being patient in his son's return? Peter says this in 2 Peter. He's being patient in his return because he's not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The religious son and the rebellious son. He's being patient in his return. And aren't you patient he was Or aren't you glad he was patient for you? That he didn't return before you repented of your sin and began to follow Jesus. The father is being patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This is the heart of God to get to you 
before you get to Keza. Would you stand with me? Our teams are gonna lead us in worship. But regardless of where you've been, whether you're the religious son or the rebellious son, I want you to know that today you can come home. Today is your day. Arms are open wide. The heart of the Father, His arms are open wide. Our arms are open wide. You can come home because Jesus got Keza for you. Jesus on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, in that moment, the Father turns His back on His Son. In that moment, Jesus is cut off. In that moment, Jesus where's your shame for your sin jesus got keza jesus was crushed in your place for your sin on the cross so that you could get new clothes the clothes of a child so that you could have a party thrown for you in your repentance the scripture says it's appointed in a man once to die and then to face judgment that's keza keza awaits you where you are cut off from the presence of the Father forever. Some people think they're just gonna stroll up to the pearly gates into the presence of God. Listen, when you look at the sun, it burns your eyes, even for just a second. The sun's 92 million miles away. You think you're gonna stroll casually into the presence of its creator? Think again. Keza is awaiting you, that the cutting off is awaiting you. And if you don't have the robe, the ring, the shoes, if you're not covered by the Father's blessing, you will get Keza. You will be cut off forever. But the Father's blessing trumps Keza. And Jesus took the shame of your sin, the penalty, he paid the penalty for your sin. He went through Keza for you so that you can get the Father's blessing that makes you a child of God and you can get new clothes, the righteousness of Christ, you get grace. And so if you're here this morning and you need to come home for the first time, you need to come home again back to your Father. Our prayer teams, are some of our pastors are gonna be up here at front. They'd love to receive you with arms wide open. They'd love to pray with you and celebrate you, party with you that you have returned home or that you've come home for the first time. Or, or maybe you're here and you, you've got a prodigal in your life. It might be a child, it might be a friend, it might be a family member, it might be a coworker, it might be a neighbor, but you're watching the road. You're watching the road, awaiting their return. You're, you're praying for their coming home. If that's you, come and pray with one of our prayer team members. Come and pray with one of our pastors. They'd love to pray with you into that awakening in their life and in their hearts. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place right now through your word. We thank you, God, that you sent your son Jesus ahead of us to get to Keza before we would get to Keza. God, we thank you that the Father's blessing over us trumps Keza. God, we thank you for your heart, for your love, your compassion, your mercy, that you are waiting. Even right now in this moment, you're waiting and you're drawing us to come to yourself. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. Allow us in this moment to come to our senses. In Jesus' name, amen. Coming after me There's no 